Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, Steve Hall. Welcome to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. My name is Steve Hall. I'm the Executive Director of the Mustang Owners Museum located in Concord, North Carolina. Today we have a guest on with us that I've been looking forward to having on for, for a number of weeks. Um, this gentleman actually is an engineer with Ford Performance, and I uh, want to talk to him a little bit and kind of get an understanding of what, what a Ford engineer does, uh, what an engineer does at Ford Performance. Uh, I'm sure we have quite a bit of insight to, to give us a day, a, an idea of what his day is like and what his responsibilities are. So with that, I'd like to introduce Mark Weston. So Mark, welcome to, from Ford Performance. So uh, welcome to our podcast. Hi, Steve. It's great to be on. Thank you for having me. Well, it's exciting. Well, <laughs> for me too, because uh, we're always trying to reach out to folks from Ford, both retired and current employees, and just learn a little bit about the process because uh, it's 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 a it is a team. I know Art Hyde uh, from from some years ago always had the team Mustang concept, and it very much is. It's 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 amazing to understand and learn how all these players come together. Uh, and many of them work in separate offices and separate facilities, but with a common responsibility to put a, a vehicle together. And so it's, it's always interesting to learn a little bit of that insight as to, well, like I said, what, you know, with Ford performance things, and how, how all these things, how all these things come together and click together. So I'm hoping you do, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about, let's, you know, the, the day in the life of an engineer, uh, obviously uh, in our mind, when we start talking about engineering, we think engines, and I think, and overall, and then we think about, of course, is the is the you know the 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 the, um, the factory line, and what's going on. That's that's the extent of anyway for me. That's my when I think engineering, that's what I think of, which is probably mostly incorrect. So, hopefully, you guys just share some information with that. Kind of straighten me out. I wouldn't say it's incorrect. It's just the uh, the very tip of the iceberg. Um, to your point there, a lot of buildings, a lot of Ford is a giant global company. And uh, when uh, when I got my foot in the door, I got to learn that. And uh, there are not only are there buildings scattered all over southeastern Michigan, there's facilities scattered all across the globe. So um, you basically the sun never sets on Ford where uh, something is always going on. Um, so a, a day in the life of, a, of an engineer at Ford, it, uh, it really depends on what what program you're working on, where you are in the company, um, what your what your skill set is, and and what what uh, really what you're working on. So I myself, I'm a uh, I'm a powertrain engineer, um, and when you know when you go to school, you 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 go to school for engineering, um, and you you learn from the the cookbook as it will. Right, there's a lot of mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, systems engineers, manufacturing engineers. And uh, when you take that cookbook and, and you go off into the real world, uh, now you get to learn how to uh, zero in on the different roles and responsibilities that you're going to be, to be working on it and get, uh, get to be really good at those, uh, those types of roles. Um, so I myself, when, uh, when I got my foot in the door at Ford, um, I was uh, in powertrain. And to your point, when you think engineering, like you said, you think of engine, but there's a, there's a whole lot more than just the engine for powertrain. Uh, you have your whole, you know, you think about your whole cooling system, right? Someone's got to design that. You have your air induction, exhaust, your transmission. Um, you have all your driveline components. And then what really people don't think about nowadays is, but 
you know, compared to uh, Mustangs of yesteryear is the the giant systems engineering of of how all these components talk to one another and the uh, immense amount of computing power that are in all of our uh, our vehicles. It's and this is this is true in the entire industry. Uh, we the amount of uh, real amount of communication that has to go on. These these things are almost uh, full robotics on wheels. So uh, learning about how to be capable in all these systems is, uh, is, is quite important and to really strive and, and be a good engineer. So when you, when you, with your position being in that you're in with powertrain, do you, is there one certain area of the powertrain part? I, I don't, I'm not sure the right word I want to use. Do you always, do you, do you put yourself, your responsibility to focus in on one part of that? Or do you, or do you, cause you mentioned, of course, you've got transmission, you've got cooling, you've got other uh, engineering and other things that go on to make it to, to complete the package as it were. So do you find that the engineers, they get kind of say, okay, well, your responsibility is usually always going to be in the transmissions. That's a really great question. Yep. And that's um, the, uh, the way things can be broken up is you can be an engineer that specifies in one particular part. And, and when I uh, started a Ford, I, I was working in the transmission and driveline area of the company. And, and I was specializing in, uh, in half shafts, uh, as you will, right? The the component that uh, takes the power from your differential and sends it out to your wheel, and uh, all of the different types of aspects of engineering those. Uh, that's what I was a specialist in. So they they would give you a, a certain program uh, that uh, under under the Ford umbrella, and you would specialize in, in that program, developing uh, that particular part uh, for the vehicle, knowing what its attributes had to be dealing with uh, different suppliers and you're dealing with multiple people across the company on uh, helping you to develop this part um, so that you can get it to do exactly what it needs to do so that uh, you can be completely successful in the, in the launch of the vehicle. So that happens across the whole company. There are, there are people that would be specific owners of certain parts. And uh, what I've evolved into going over to the Ford Performance World, which we can get into as well, is more of a systems role. And what I mean by that as a systems engineer is you uh, you are under a larger umbrella of the entire system of it talking, uh, everything that has to talk to one another and making sure it meets all the vehicle attributes. So you may not be uh, a master of one particular part. You're not a master of one particular part. You're, you're a master of all and a master of none at the same time. What I mean by that is you don't own a part. Uh, but you're making sure that the part is meeting the attributes that the, the vehicle has to achieve. So you're talking to all of the different teammates and the, and the engineers that are the ones developing specifically that part, and you're making sure everything's going to come together correctly, everything's going to talk together correctly, and uh, you're going to meet all of the, uh, the targets and attributes that have been set forward from uh, the program team so that uh, the vehicle will be successful. Well, let me let me go. Uh, I'm gonna take a step back then for a sec because it's it's interesting to hear this, uh, how these different levels come into play and how this works together. So, if you're an individual that's looking to get into obviously engineering with a car company and obviously Ford, uh, in our, in our conversation, obviously schooling is a very important part of it. Um, and I would I would have to think then, as you mentioned earlier, you know, you've got so many different types of engineers from mechanical engineering uh that you it's almost where if a person's looking to go to work at Ford 
and they're or and in the car world for that matter they themselves probably have to kind of dedicate themselves into the engineering that best fits their expectations of for a future job uh as such so what kind of schooling does a person need? I'm I'm sure you needed a degree, but uh, what um, I mean, what where did you go to school? For example, where, what college did you go to? Yes, um, so uh, for schooling, um, I started my schooling out by going to um, undergrad uh, for mechanical engineering. I did that um, being from the East Coast. I did that at Stevens Institute of Technology, which is in Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, Hoboken is famous for being the home of Frank Sinatra, a uh, little side note of history. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, did my undergrad at, at Stevens in, in mechanical engineering and got to complete all of the uh, tasks needed to uh, achieve that uh, bachelor in mechanical engineering. And as I was getting close to graduation, I was looking at uh, where I wanted to go, having that sight set on really getting into automotive and, and, and Ford and trying to figure out how to make the stairs step to get there. And um, that's where I decided I wanted to go and get my and get my master's. And from information talking to people throughout internships and and really learning that um, it's good to try and broaden your horizons. So one of the things I learned was called, it's called systems engineering, um, which is really a, a broad looking of engineering. So whether you're mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, uh, electrical or um, structural it kind of ties them all together. And it's, uh, it was really something I felt interested in. I wanted to get into that. So one of the places that uh, had the ability to uh, to go to that had a good systems program was Cornell University up in uh, Ithaca, New York. And uh, one of the other things that caught my eye there was um, they had a very good uh, formula SAE team, which is um, SAE being the Society of Automotive Engineers. And formula SAE is a competition that's run uh, yearly. Uh, we have one here that they come to uh, Michigan International Speedway, and it's a it's a year long program that different schools around the world really compete in. And you have to build a formula like style race car. And at the end of the year, you come out all these schools and you, and you compete and you try and see uh, really who, who will win. Now, it's not wheel to wheel racing. It's uh, different types of competitions from uh, straight line acceleration to an autocross to endurance. Uh, a design competition and, and a cost competition, and you add up points from all these different events to uh, to really find out who the winner is. Um, so in combination of doing systems engineering uh, with formula SAE, that helped bring together um, my master's degree to, to be uh, looking out at these different companies that I, I wanted to get to, namely being Ford. Uh, and Ford's actually one of the companies that comes in and recruits at uh, formula, formula SAE. Well, let me ask a little bit about the competition because it sounds kind of interesting. Um, so you're out there and you, you've got a number. How many different schools? I know you said they're from all over the world, but how many different schools do you kind of, just as, a, as an estimate? Yeah. Uh, so when I was doing the competition, we were at Michigan. Uh, we had just a, was a little over 100 schools that came. And, and like I was saying, they're from all over the United States. And there's schools from uh, from Germany, from uh uh, parts of Korea and uh, Japan, uh, they, they all come out for this. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful experience to meet folks from all different types of, of disciplines and backgrounds, because we're, we're all working towards the same goal to build this, this style of car. And you can really learn how different people solve the same problem in a different way. Um, and not only being able to meet new people, but you're also getting to meet people from industry and, um, and uh, 
see what 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 are places that you would really want to go uh, with your life with with this engineering degree that you're going to get. Um, and then at our school, the the vast amount of alumni that we were able to lean on, um, it, it was treated like a business. This this program, so we were able to talk to our old alumni that have gone off to work for rocket companies, that go off to work in different automotive companies, Formula One, and we learned a lot from them, especially between different types of materials are really in the process. I got to learn a lot about different types of material. Uh, we built our entire car uh, was a as a full monocoque, meaning that there's it's not a tubular chassis. It's all one piece carbon fiber, just like a Formula One race car. And we got to learn how to do some really unique manufacturing techniques that we could talk for hours on uh, on how to put that together. And not only that, but how to lay up carbon fiber, how to uh, bake it is really what you have to do is, is a form of baking it in an autoclave. So how it becomes solidified to have its properties, um, learning how to do different types of control work. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, controls is a really big, uh, important function of engineering, especially now as, as the world is evolving into more and more autonomous vehicles and all. Learning how to do control work is really important. So we learned how to do control work for our engine. We built our own uh, engine calibration. Um, we built our own uh, turbo for the motor. We do have to run a restrictor as part of the rules, but we learned how to uh, really get the most of power out we could out of the engine and, and all of the engine controller itself. Um, it is just an, an infinite amount of information you can learn. And it's so great because it's hands-on. You're learning what um, you can take what you learned in the classroom. You can combine that with the, what you build in the lab. And companies really love looking at your ability to do this because there's real deadlines, right? The competition is going to happen with or without you. And if you want to get there, you got to make sure the car gets done. And then if you want to be competitive, you have to make sure you've done all of your upfront design work and your engineering work correctly so that the car functions as intended, that you designed it for when you get to the competition so you can really compete for that top spot. It sounds like in some instances, I'm, I'm sure quite a few more than I, I can imagine, but it sounds like you're, you're also at the same time, you're kind of pushing the envelope to, to, those ne to the next level. Um, and so I, what I mean by that is, of course, with all these these teams out there, they're all trying to find that, that advantage to come up with something that's going to give them a little bit to kind of get them over the top, as it were. And so not, so everybody's not going to do the same type of work on their car. They're going to do different things. And now you mentioned, of course, carbon fiber. Uh, I'm kind of curious. So uh, in some cases, do you find that you're actually pushing that that edge of that envelope? From what would normally be done or how to look at a problem or how to look at solving something, this looks like this would be a perfect way to say, well, what if? You know, what if we did it this way? Or could this, could that work? And so you're pushing and looking at things differently. Absolutely. That's that's one of the greatest things that I like being on the team was that there was a, a full department set aside of a forward-looking team, uh, or excuse me, forward-looking uh, group, especially of grad students, looking at what can we do in the future to benefit the car from what we've learned this year to go to that next step. And while I was on the team, one of the biggest things, just to your point, like you mentioned, was material, right? How do we get the car lighter? Uh, if as you, everyone that probably listens to this, right, when you, if you're if you're a race car driver, um, weight is the enemy. You want to get the the light the car to be as light as possible, so you have a great power to weight ratio, and also. Um, as a whole, the series probably in the late 2000s was uh, really getting in, into heavy uh, wings and aero. We were, we, were, we were trying to learn how do we make the car more um, to use aerodynamics to our advantage. Um, so that was something that was growing. And then even in recent years, uh, even though I'm not competing anymore, uh, a lot of the alum, like we still like to have ties to uh, 
the competition. Um, Formula SAE as a whole is is going into the electric space. As you can notice, the electrification is getting very popular in the industry. So they even have full electric competitions now, right? How do we get the most out of an, an electric motor and a battery and the same fighting the same problems with weight and handling and um, you want to get all that power to the ground correctly and last for your entire endurance competition. So it's a it's a wonderful realm of where to experiment in new types of technology that real companies do take a, a, an eye in on seeing how how these different schools are doing and, and what have you what have you done uniquely to to try and solve this problem. Well, that's that's kind of leads me to my next question. Then is of course with with over a hundred cars in this competition. The competition's over. Uh, the cars probably don't have a. Uh, they're not going to be used again, I would assume, or maybe they're taken apart or such. But do they do? Uh, do schools sell them, or do they do anything with them to say, well, let's try to, you know, re, you know, obviously to do this, there is an expense um, on behalf of the college, and we've just been, you know, in labor, material, and then of course the logistics of having the team there. I was just curious, what do they do with the cars after this after this competition's over? Right. That's a good question. Um, so, so big items like the engine uh, I can speak to or, or uh, controllers and stuff like that. Um, usually that can get reused for the following year because you're going to either uh, the engine's a big expense to get. And if you don't blow it up, you want to keep using it. Um, and controllers are also very expensive. And if, if everything has gone well and you haven't broken that, um, then you can continue to use that that piece to build upon and continue to improve uh, whether it's a calibration or X amount of other item that you're controlling on the vehicle. Um, items like the bodies or suspension like items like that, um, usually some schools will hold on to them, uh, especially like for items like uprights. Um, we've learned to do a lot of things with uh, uh, CNC machining. So that's a computer numerically controlled machine to actually mill out parts. So some of those parts can get real expensive. And if you can reuse that or use part of it, those will be reused. If not, they'll be used as a learning exercise for for future students because you do want to get every student from every year that's going through this to get as much hands-on as possible to build stuff from scratch um some parts um i know from other schools some parts can get sold I, I know some people that have bought parts of cars um but i know sometimes a lot of schools don't like to let that stuff go just for liability reasons um but some places can have fundraisers for that because you know any any way the teams can make money and get and get new parts and get new tools that they can use is always great um but a lot of it seems to from what i my experience is just does seems to get recycled and saved and, and or use parts of an old car to make like a trainer car we would have to train uh drivers every year and, and it wasn't like uh one person was set from the beginning to be the driver it was really open to anyone if you can go out there and you can show that you can make consistent lap times and, and you're you're a really good and skilled behind the wheel it was open to anyone so we really we had to train people and and that's usually what a lot of older cars would get used for was was for training purposes well no that that's, that makes a lot of sense obviously is like you don't leave you don't need to leave anything to waste as it were you know just because just because the competition's over doesn't mean you just kind of mothball the item and then you know, next year you move on to something else so that makes that makes a lot of sense how that and is that I, I find that to be really quite interesting well let's change gears a little bit um uh, one of the things that you and i had chatted about in the past a little bit is the difference between ford performance and ford uh i think sometimes uh, people I don't, I don't even know if some people realize that actually ford racing was an entity before there was actually ford motor company uh, so racing's obviously, and performance has always been part of the, uh, culture at Ford, but obviously there is a difference between Ford performance and for Ford. So I was hoping you kind of 
kind of spell that out a little bit for us, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so Ford Performances, it's it's its own division inside the big mothership that is Ford Motor Company. And um, Ford Performance takes to the likings of uh, other ways companies have done things where we have a, a specific niche in the group that needs to complete a certain project, usually in a, in a short amount of time while looking for new technologies. And we always kind of equi- equivalent to uh, it's the skunk works of Ford. And for your listeners that may not know um, what skunk works is that skunk works was a, a division um, of the Lockheed aerospace corporation uh, that was started up in the late fifties where that you had a specific chief engineer who handpicked engineers from the, the mothership of the company, brought them to a separate building, and were tasked with delivering new and exciting aircraft that the world had never seen before in a very short period of time using cut, cutting state-of-the-art technology that in some cases hasn't been invented. So Ford Performance, if you will, is, is, is kind of along those lines. We are um, taking vehicles, Ninety uh, percent of the time, it's it's ones that already have a a base vehicle version of it, like you would think, like a Mustang or a uh, or a, or an F one hundred and fifty, and we have to build and bring to market uh, a version of them that um, are really cutting edge technology, and and you can see that over the past uh, few decades that uh, we have a lot of fans that really really have come to love our products, and and they really have made their own niche in the marketplace. Well, it's funny. I I, I I tell a quick note about when you use the word skunk works. Um, the, the SN95, which was of course the Mustang from 1994, um, it was under it was all developed and created through a skunk works program. Also, <clears throat> where these engineers and the designers, uh, the the financial people, everybody, they were kind of moved off site to a separate facility, which actually was an old Montgomery Ward's downtown not downtown but down in that area it was in a it was an ex, uh, in the empty um, Montgomery Wards building and the idea was that by having everybody there they could actually design and create this car much faster <clears throat> and more economically and things done you know, in in a way so that they weren't having to go you know one steps forward and then they have to bring in some other some other eyes in, or some other people to touch to the program to know if they're going to move forward, we've got to revise, got to do what have you. So Skunk Works was the first time I'd heard about it was with the SN95. But I have to be honest with you. I didn't know what the word meant. <laughs> <laughs> Skunk Works. And I, and I just thought it was just a just an, you know, you know, sometimes with engineers and designers, they start to get into their own vernacular. And so, oh, that's right. Yeah. So I kind of thought, well, maybe it was just that this was a Skunk Works clubhouse. You had to be a Skunk Works member to be able to go in that building and actually work on this project or such. Uh, I since then, of course, learned a little bit more of what that means, and your explanation is a great exp- explanation to understand what it is. But it's a really unique way of trying to do something in an expeditious manner, but yet with all the right p- elements and people together to make that happen. So that was really it was interesting how uh, they that had been applied to the SN95. So. It's, it's That's been done, right. yeah. So it's even been done with, with a you know the with the fourth generation Mustang. So kind of interesting with that. So, and actually, if you go back in history, you could argue that uh, Henry Ford did it as well uh, for the, the for the Flathead V8. Um, you go back and read in the history books how he handpicked his team to come up with that. Uh, that's that was another secret program that uh, really came out and revolutionized the industry. 
Yeah, he, well, he did a lot of things that kind of revolutionized. The That's industry. true. He's yeah. a he was he was a pretty smart guy. Yeah, he he was his own little skunk works, so to speak, in some regards. He just had, he had that vision in his head, and he said, "This is what we're going to do." And he would find the people to do it. And that's what Carol Shelby used to say. He says, right. I'm, not, I'm not a smart guy. I'm only smart enough to hire people that are smarter than me that make these things work. That's what you got to mm-hmm. have is you got to have the talent. If you don't have the talent, he says, I, I can't do this. So it was interesting. You're absolutely right. Well, as we kind of wrap through this a little bit, I want to ask, uh, we always like to ask our guests. Sometimes we put them on the spot and they have to <laughs> kind of say, oops, go part and go from there. But we like to ask our, our guests, is, um, what do you drive? What do I, okay, so what do I drive? Well, um, my, uh, my baby is my uh, 2011 uh, Mustang, the first year they brought back the five liter. Um, saved for it since third grade. That was being a Mustang fan from as, as long back as I can remember. Um, started my own company to uh, cut grass, and so I'd be able to afford it someday, and then got to, got to buy that uh, just the way I wanted it. So that's, that's my baby. That's my weekend warrior. Um, I drive a Fusion around for my my daily driver, but the the Mustang is my uh, my pride and joy. The reason I want to ask that at Carlisle, I had a chance to we had a chance to kind of catch up with each other for a few moments, and mm-hmm. uh, it was it was great to see you. I, I if I remember correctly, was that the first time you've been to Carlisle? Uh, no, I well, it was the first time getting to go to Carlisle to be a representative of Ford, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, I had been to Carlisle in the past as a fan, so now I was on the uh, the other side of the fence, if you will, and it was a it was a wonderful experience. Well, it is a great experience. Had we had great weather and record record turnout of cars and crowd, but um, you had kind of and and I, I say this with tongue in cheek, you could have had a one car parade. Uh, you you <laughs> yeah you were uh, you were kind of tasked to bring something from Detroit to the. Um, uh, to Carlisle, and so I hope you don't mind tell uh, tell our listeners what uh, what you what you brought. Sure. Um, so I think, as the listeners know, one of one of the um, Ford Performance's big products is our F one fifty Raptor, and uh, we were tasked with expanding that Raptor brand to the the new popular Bronco. So uh, I was fortunate enough to um, bring down to show off at Carlisle one of our uh, first pre-production uh bronco raptors um and we got to bring that to our ford booth and and show that off to uh to all, everyone that came to carlisle and uh boy i for for two and a half days straight it was nothing but questions and it was just wonderful to hear all of the feedback from uh from really the ford fans on uh what it is how they like it what 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 uh what was exciting about it, all their questions there were folks that came up to us that uh have ordered one already, uh, sight unseen, and really got to see it for the first time at Carlisle. So um, it was a wonderful hit. It was so exciting to be able to show it off. There are so many men and women back in in Detroit that have put so much into this program. So to be the tip of the iceberg there at, at Carlisle, uh, showing it off really for all of them was uh, it was very special. It was just wonderful. Well, it's, I'm, I'm glad you said it that way because um, I've had the good fortune this past year, year and a half, to be able to work with some of the and 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 meet with some of the folks that work in design, uh, particularly, and it's just it's amazing how personal their job is to them. Uh, for many people, a job's a job, but for I do I have to say this on the Ford side, these people are very passionate about what they do, and it goes beyond just like you said, it's beyond being a job. There's a pride factor, 
and they want to make sure that they're going to deliver the very best product period in the subject uh you know matter what a little extra time it may take to get something so it's, it's amazing just to see the uh the culture at ford is just something as such that you know it, it, it's 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 uh, i like i said what a little bit of an experience with it the people the people are phenomenal they are just really good people that really take their job seriously and they want to deliver the best product for the enthusiast and so uh you know hats off to those guys because they they do take their job quite seriously i i have to admit and it's neat to see you you, you make you feel good that you know that the next product the next design the next engine whatever it may be is going to be the best and that's the standard that's, that's right. the standard and it's it's great to know those things and see those things so that's just phenomenal last question any mustang you could buy any mustang you could have <laughs> oh that's oh that's what a yeah that's a fun question um i uh boy i i think what i would do is uh, i would love to go first gen just because of uh where my age was and the and the Mustangs that I would have been able to drive, but I really not being able to experience much of the first gen, but just loving those timeless looks. So uh, a '67 or a '68 fastback would be uh, would be the uh, would be the the next dream Mustang for me. It's just uh, it's it's a timeless design. Uh, to me, it's going to be like a '32 Ford. It's just going to live on forever. Um, I I would love to have would love to have one of them. Well, I think um, I I don't know. Some of our listeners may be aware. That some time ago, uh, Ford did a uh, survey on which Mustang had the best rear end. Uh, <laughs> interesting idea to figure out about the rear end. But uh, the 68 Mustang won. It was considered by the people who took part of the survey. And we also did our own little uh, survey with our members. Asking them, you know, we did we did kind of a bracket event where we put various cars against each other and you could vote for which one you liked the most. And then if your car that you picked or the car that got picked who had the most votes would move on to the next to the next bracket and all the way down. And we get down to the mm -hmm. finals and the finals were 67, 68 Mustang versus the 2015. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, wow, this is going to be, you know, this will be interesting to see what the numbers were. It took us about, I have to be honest with you, it took us probably about six months to do this uh bracket by bracket by bracket but anyway uh the 68 67 68 won uh okay no, no question about it and uh it's just timeless like you said it is just timeless to look at that car so uh it's a great choice yeah, it is a great choice oh, well uh, thank you <laughs> no 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 one will argue with you on that <laughs> but that way it is definitely old school but it the car just looks like it's already is already in fourth gear by just sitting there it already looks fast so it, it's, it, it does it's, it's yeah a great piece it's a great piece well mark i really want to thank you for your time and sharing some of the conversation with us um it's just great to get to hear a little bit more on the inside what it takes to become an engineer to become part with ford uh but also through this you can hear i think our listeners will hear and appreciate your passion too they'll see that uh you you, you just it's just part of your well it's part of who you are but that comes across very well. So I really want to thank you. I, I know our listeners are going to really enjoy the episode. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on, Steve. It is uh, it was wonderful to be able to talk about this. Thank you for everything you do for the Mustang hobby. This is uh, wonderful, wonderful to just be able to, be able to chat Mustang car. Thank you. <laughs>